How have the elite power interests come to dominate the environmental movement? Why does sustainability goals and the Green New Deal benefit profits rather than the planet? Why are the UN climate goals actually lining up with COVID-19 goals? Are the UN climate strategies working in conjunction with indigenous peoples around the world or in competition with them? Can human beings break the chains of domination under both UN-imposed climate constraints and under COVID restrictions? This week on the Global Research News Hour, as the world gears up for the historic COP26 summit happening October 31st to November 12th, we examine the negative sides of the elites and their non-profit industrial complex and how the mechanisms put in place for decades will lead us in the age of COVID. For the bulk of the show, we are joined by the independent writer, journalist and environmental activist Corey Morningstar to describe the world's fate in the face of the capitalist menace that continues its onslaught. On this week's program, promoting a new tyranny under the guise of saving the planet, a conversation with Corey Morningstar. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of October 29th, 2021. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with Campus Community Radio Station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. On the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Democrats can't stand up to a bully. I witness it working among my curious and timid county Democrats who tremble when their candidate's yard sign is defaced. Then there's the widespread naivete that makes many Democratic activists believe theirs is the party embraced by all immigrants and jobless, the party that owns every single black and Hispanic vote, cinema and mansion, by daring to defy the Democratic leadership, have leapt onto the national stage. As they persist with their obduracy, they seem to be prevailing. They have somehow achieved a kind of heroic status. That comes from the article, How One Ballsy Senator Stole a President's Gummy Candy, by Barbara Nimri Aziz, posted October 27th. By analyzing the evidence that the ARRB was succeeding in getting released, assassination researchers were able to put together the pieces of the puzzle that established a fraudulent autopsy, along with lots of other pieces of circumstantial evidence establishing that what occurred on November 22, 1963, was a highly sophisticated national security state regime change operation. The leading figure in this endeavor was Douglas Horn, who served on the ARRB staff. 
anyone who reads Horn's five-volume book inside the Assassination Records Review Board will inevitably conclude that the autopsy that the military conducted on the Kennedy's body a few hours after the assassination was fraudulent to the core. At the risk of belaboring the obvious, there is no innocent explanation for a fraudulent autopsy being conducted on President Kennedy's body, especially given that the scheme for a fraudulent autopsy was launched at the moment Kennedy was declared dead. It stands to reason that if a government agency is being forced to reveal records relating to a regime change operation, that agency is going to keep the most incriminating evidence secret for as long as possible. That comes from the article, What the CIA is Hiding in the JFK Assassination, by Jacob G. Hornberger, posted October 27th, originally published at the Future of Freedom Foundation. Three major Australian supermarket chains are adopting a COVID-19 vaccine mandate that will see 300,000 workers across the country get vaccinated or lose their job. According to the Australian financial journal, The Financial Review, the movement is being led by Woolworths, with rivals Aldi and Coles joining the fray. The Woolworths mandate will be imposed on all staff members across its 1,200 retail outlets and big W discount department stores. Workers at its warehouses, distribution centers, and offices will also be required to get the jab. Most Woolworths stores serve around 20,000 in-store customers every week. The deadline for full vaccination in some areas of the country is January 31st, while others will have until March 31st to get both shots. That comes from the article, Major Australian Supermarket Chains Adopt No Jab, No Job Policy, Impacting Hundreds of Thousands of Workers, by Cassie B., posted October 27th, originally published at Medical Tyranny. Biden has continued and enhanced the hostility towards China, Iran, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, Cuba, Venezuela, among other states. The potential for an international conflict over the strategic control of geopolitical regions could very well erupt in the coming months. The failure of the Biden administration to intervene constructively in the Horn of Africa is fostering greater discord and instability. With the seizure of power by the Sudanese military, this scenario lays focus on the need for a political revolution in the country along with several others. Despite the promises of monumental economic and security assistance from Washington and Tel Aviv, the Sudanese people continue to be mired in a cycle of declining wages, rising prices, and political uncertainty. That comes from the article, Sudan Coup Prompted by Failures in Washington's Foreign Policy, by Abayomi Azikiwe, posted October 27th. We have moved into corporatism, favored by Benito Mussolini, which is a halfway point on the road to full-blown fascism. Corporatism is where the few moneyed interests not elected by the citizenry rule over the many. In this way, it is not a democracy or a republican form of government. 
which is what the American government was established to be. It is a top-down form of government and one which has a terrifying history typified by the developments that occurred in totalitarian regimes of the past. Police states where everyone is watched and spied on, rounded up for minor infractions by government agents, placed under police control, and placed in detention, a.k.a. concentration camps. For the final hammer of fascism to fall, it will require the most crucial ingredient. The majority of the people will have to agree that it's not only expedient, but necessary. That comes from the article. Mayhem and Madness, Authoritarian Monsters Wreak Havoc on Our Freedoms by John W. Whitehead and Nisha Whitehead. Posted October 27th, originally published on the Rutherford Institute. Sound familiar? It should, and Spence made reference to Auschwitz in his testimony. Take a listen. Spence said that in all his years of nursing, what he was told to do, what went against most of how he had been trained, but it was the medical system that wanted him to treat them that way. However, once he began to see his patients dying and that the CDC fraudulently changed the PCR tests dramatically, just like we reported that they would do to cover for the shots, it frightened him and he had to speak out. That comes from the article. Video, testimony of South Carolina nurse. The COVID-19 hospital protocols he was following were killing his patients. Posted October 27th, originally published at bestnewshere.com. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. This is Michael Welch, and the show is the Global Research News Hour. Well, the UN climate talks have been receiving more and more focus in the news. It's starting uh, this coming Sunday, October 31st. Uh, and, and this is in spite of the continuing pandemic. They started back in 1992 and established and formalized a, a prototype that now all activists pay attention to including strategies to reduce fossil fuel emissions. But one person standing out in opposition to this agenda, however, is herself an environmental activist. Her name is Corey Morningstar. She's an independent investigative journalist and writer focusing on global ecological collapse and political analysis of the nonprofit industrial complex. Um, and her rice, recent writings can be found on Wrong Kind of Green and The Art of Annihilation. And she's also pretty active on Twitter as well. And her series, The Manufacturing of Greta Thunberg for Consent, is posted at uh, Wrong Kind of Green and, and at her site, The Art of Annihilation. Uh, she also lives in uh, London, Ontario, Canada. Corey Morningstar, thanks so much for joining me again. Hi, Michael. So the environmental movement uh, along with the civil rights movement, was a genuine threat to capitalism 
consumerism and the powers that be back in the 60s and early 70s. But today, the elites seem to have learned from their mistakes and, and are folding the activists into their tents. You know, uh, you, you mentioned in past episodes that uh, Greta Thunberg was an example of how their activism acts as promotion for their own agenda. Uh, maybe you just take a, just a, maybe a, a couple of minutes, if you can, to, to give our listeners a, a quick review of how these power players and elites took advantage of sincere, sincere folks. I mean, there's, I guess, the, the nonprofit corporations, for example, and uh, uh, I guess the, uh, the, uh, the social media that's also been part of their uh, play, but you know, may, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll let you give our listeners. Yeah, I mean, sure, Michael. I mean, as as power consol- has been consolidating over the past decades, and what we see now is, I mean, with um, the onset of the quote-unquote, um, you know, COVID pandemic, it's basically, you know, now more than ever, this massive consolidation of capital and um, powers happening um, at global scale. But I mean, they they figured out long ago that they could, you know, buy up movements, co-op movements, um, even create movements, you know, to advance their the ruling class objectives and desires. And that's led over the past 10 years to um, advancing this idea of together, where um, civil society should work instead of trying to um, tear down the very power structures that oppress us and oppress our brothers and sisters across the global south and the world um, that we're being um, basically conditioned and engineered to believe we should be, um, you know, this idea of together, right? With the very corporate, um, um, with the very corporate power structures that are destroying the planet. This idea of together has really taken hold using this, you know, nonprofit industrial complex NGO army which is actually massive. I mean, it's one of the biggest employers in the world. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's worked well over, especially, you know, over the past 10 years, there's been, um, and as, you know, um, new generations are born, um, they've really be, been, been able to um, sort of um, take hold of the young minds in particular, they're very much so targeting the youth, right? Um, which will be, which are actually being born into this fourth industrial revolution architecture, you know, youth that have been born into technology, into this age of technology, which is now, you know, sort of morphed into this techno capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I guess it's the same uh, design as the, the way originally, like years before that, they developed a, a kind of an alternative to the, as, as the workers pushed back, they, they financed certain uh, businesses, you know, boss dominated the uh, trade labor unions, and yet the, the more fundamental uh, backlash with like the industrial workers of the world or the uh, socialist movement and so on, the, the, you know, with, with all the money going to those big cor- uh, corporations, the, the smaller ones just kind of folded up in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Looking at the, uh, the, the, the climate summits, um, now what they call sustainability and climate change were linked in the 1992 summit. There, there are these 17 sustainable development goals or SDGs 
introduced in the UN Agenda 2021 and UN Agenda 2030. Can you talk about where this sustainability agenda came from, how its goals advanced capitalism versus the actual welfare of the planet? Well, it's, um, I'll just go directly to the point that the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs are also called on global goals. And um, in 2015, I believe every um, UN state in the world, 193 countries signed on to those goals. Um, and so everything um, is sort of wrapped in this emotive, holistic, um, holistic linguistics, right? This language that, you know, like WWF, which is complicit in crimes against um, murder, rape, um, displacement of indigenous peoples. They, they have billions of dollars for marketing. And so you get all of this wrapped in really beautiful, holistic, um, emotive sort of capture, capturing the, the people's hearts, right? And I mean, what it is, SDGs are actually emerging markets. It's nothing to do with sustainability. It's nothing to do with the climate. It's all about continuing the um, plunder and capture of the planet. And right now, actually going into this, what's happening at this moment is that actually the largest land grab ever in the history of humanity is happening right now, going into um, you know this next COP. And um, yeah, I mean, this is all window dressing. So the sustainable development goals, if you go back to, um, there's a, uh, it's probably an NGO called System IQ, which works with the World Economic Forum and they've recognized at least, and it's probably more 70% of those SDGs are emerging markets. And so biotechnology going forward is a massive, um, huge emerging market. Um, right. Um, and everything. I mean, the even the vaccines, you can tie that right into the um, digital identity foundation of the fourth industrial revolution architecture. That's um, an imperative, you know, for this whole thing to work, just like um, 5G is another imperative. Um, so it's all tied in together, like this whole new fourth industrial um, revol revolution architecture. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, could you just maybe explain a little bit of the digital ID, uh, how that was, it's actually in the sustainable de development goals, isn't it? Yes. So if you go back, um, even in 2007, you have a paper from the OECD talking about, you know, the digital identity crossroads. And even back at that time, you know, they already recognized the imperative of, they already had an idea of how they wanted to move forward. And, um, you know, basically um, design, design the, econ the global economy at that time. And so you have a paper about it. And I mean, it's incredible if you go and look at that paper, I've shared it on Twitter, one page of it, it talks about this young girl, you know, in the near future and everything that happens to her in a day. But getting to the point, digital identity, um, everyone must be connected basically to this um, digital world. This whole idea, what we're seeing behind social distancing and mask wearing, um, isolation, everything, the whole premise that um, physical, biological is dangerous, artificial, synthetic, digital is safe, right? Um, every time you're away from your screen, they're losing money. They need you on the screen. So even we're seeing sort of everything, even, um, even sex now is being 
being reframed, right, is bad. They don't want people outside. They don't want people together. They don't want, they want you in front of a screen at all times. So the digital identity, basically, that will um, hook you into the system. It serves sort of as the um, umbilical cord to the smart cities, which are now rolling out, right, through the COVID rescue. Instead of calling it bailout, we can now call everything COVID rescue money. And that money is going to go into more nuclear, carbon capture storage, um, recolonization of Africa, India. Um, but again, the digital identity, what's really the most important thing to recognize about it, is actually a tool of compliance. And there's over 14 now, um, fourth industrial revolution centers that around the world. If you go to the one in Israel on the website, and it has the technological banner at the top, um, you know, all blue, it looks like, you know, technology. And right in the circle, it actually has a gavel and it says compliance. And this is what it's all about. This is developing uh, a very brutal world as Deloitte, another um, World Economic Forum partner calls it. They actually say who will survive and who will perish, right? So it's a very brutal world that we're going into. And um, the digital ID will basically, if you comply, you'll be allowed the access. So it's about what you'll be able to access and then what will be cut off to you. So for instance, um, with their, in the entryway to get everyone in the world with the digital ID is immunization. And that was recognized, um, I believe 2018, there's still an article about that up on ID 2020, which is, um, you know, Gates and all um, behind that project, which has this year, sorry, this year they rebranded that as Good Health Pass. And so it's all of these same groups, Salesforce, Gates, World Economic Forum, IMF, um, you know, every, I probably a lot of people know by now World Economic Forum actually partnered um, officially with the United Nations back in 2019. Um, I mean, it's, again, consolidation of power and wealth, and it's like a crushing, right, of the most vulnerable in the world, and um, it's the annihilation of the working class, the annihilation of the middle class. Um, back in 2015, you can hear World Economic Forum, uh, Davos talking about 66 or 67% to 77% of all jobs um, being lost, you know, within 10 to 15 years. So we're going into a very brutal time. Well, yeah, because they don't say, I mean, you ask, well, this is all about digitalized, giving all of these people digital IDs, but they, they, they'll never say that precisely, but they'll say that this is, you got to have a pass, you got to have a passport and, and, and all of those other things. And they're going to the extreme, like everybody, including children who, I mean, as far as I'm aware, in Canada, only 17 have actually died of this. I mean, it's very, it, it's not a, a killer for, 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 for these young people. And yet they have to get the, uh, the, the vaccine. So I, I'm not sure, um, you know, but, but th th this is really, uh, yeah, th th but all of this is set up as a means of fulfilling uh, not just human health, quote unquote, but also fulfilling the climate agenda that, that basically combines the two. Yeah, I mean, 
what happened yesterday is is just a crime you know it's a crime against children a crime against humanity it's one of the darkest days i think in history um if you look back um yesterday at the c-span um panel you've got eric rubin from harvard he he actually says this and I'm, I'm going to quote it he says but we're never going to learn about how safe this vaccine is unless we start giving it that's just the way it goes that's how we found out about rare complications of other vaccines like coronavirus vaccine so they're actually admitting it's an experiment and to um you know, to subject children who are largely impervious to COVID-19 and have been since, you know, day day one, they're more at risk from um, flu. It, it's just actually a crime. And then if you look further into Rubin, um, if you go back to May of this year, um, I'm going to make another quote. There's been a notable rise in the development and approval of RNA-based vaccines, most prominently for COVID-19 and therapeutics for certain rare diseases. To date, however, there's no approved RNA-based cancer therapies. And then if you jump ahead to June 17, 2021, about pioneering a synthetic BRNA Immuner, sorry, immunotherapy, is that, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, immunotherapy program, um, you've got Ruben, who is appointed to the board of directors of this corporation called Chorus Inc. on the NASDAQ, right? And it's all about, all about um, expanding that synthetic BRNA platform. So again, you know, you've got um, you've got pharma and all these huge, you know, corporate structures buying up everybody. They're buying up academia. They're buying up movements. They're buying up scientists. They're buying up doctors. They, they just, it's, you know, I think we talked about this, you know, it's just like trawling across the ocean gathering up everything you can catch. And, you know, if people don't go along, you get ostracized, you get isolated, you get fired, you know, you get barred, disbarred, you get, you know, a lot of bad things happening. So people are tending to stay silent at the exact time we need to speak out. But I think as far as climate, more and more people are starting to see that this is nothing to do with, um, you know, with um, mitigating climate. This is nothing to do with protecting biodiversity. This is all about all about the consolidation of global power of capital and continuing the plunder of the planet, which will be available to some and cut off to many. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we, they talk about reduced reliance on fossil fuels to get us to net zero. Um, maybe you could define what that means. We 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 will still net zero. Net zero is a brand just like net pension, net zero pensions, net zero carbon, net zero climate, net zero everything. It's a brand. It's marketing. It's um, <laughs> net zero means carbon markets. Carbon markets are going through the roof. You know, again, along with the trillions being right now funneled into carbon capture storage, which means continuing burning fossil fuels into nuclear, you know, which is breakthrough energy with Bill Gates and Richard Branson and Mark um, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. And I mean, the same people, right, who have captured all the wealth during this pandemic as 
people in the global south, children and mothers who have literally starved to death, you know, and and been and died because of lack of services and you know closure shutdowns, um, you know, all very strategic. So this whole um, yeah carbon markets, it's again all about the the rich getting richer. You know, um, it, it's nothing to do with, with protection of the planet. Um, where was I going with that? I, I was watching a really good documentary this week. And um, actually, I, I wouldn't say the second half is very good, but the first half is excellent. It's called Headwind 21. It's actually in Sweden. And they and, um, a banker, this, this young guy, you know, he's a banker and he moves to Sweden and he comes to um you know realize sweden's being all the forests are being ripped to shreds for these wind farms and you know it's funny because sweden like um canada actually locked tons of hydropower they don't need electricity where is it going it's going to google it's going to data centers and so a really important series that i did i think a year ago it's called um I'm just going to look up the names. I don't remember. It's not a social dilemma. It's the calculated destruction of the social. And all this energy being created, it's not displacing nuclear and coal and everything else. It's actually going to data centers to support this, this whole transition to a digital world. We're going to use more energy than we've ever used before, and we're going to destroy it everything that's left to get there, including mining in the oceans. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. My name is Michael Welch. We're talking with Corey Morningstar, uh, the independent investigative journalist, environmental activist about the, uh, the, the climate uh, summit climate activism, uh, which is good, but the way the means in which we're we're contributing to it is is definitely not good. Corey, remember they talk about the Green New Deal. It sounded great. Everyone I know on the left has embraced it, like the New Deal of the '30s, but with envir- an environmental sauce and indigenous rights. But again, the elites are using it and driving it with the support of big environmental organizations you know, funded by the taxpayer funded uh, foundation money you're an act environmentalist what would be a, cri- a quick reminder of the downsides of the green new deal if you look at the green new deal and it was aoc that brought it back to life you can go back to 2009 and see that the un was pushing it then with al gore and um, for whatever reason, it wasn't ready to, to, to sort of roll out because at that time, the accounting system for the monetization of nature was not ready. And so it got pushed off to, to you know, when it came up again through AOC. You can find online AOC at the C40 summit um, a year or two ago about the global Green New Deal, the C40, C40 cities that's on Bloomberg and Clinton. Right. And and she was there with um, I mean, I'm Canadian, so I, I don't remember all the names of all the senators in the US, but um Omar. Um and do you know who I mean? You uh, know who I mean. Omar? Yeah. yeah. So um she was there again, you know, Gore, 
all the same people. It's it's a global thing. I mean, it's just sold at the individual level. Again, marketing, it's, it's created to get young people on board, um, youth groups, minority groups, but it's all top down. Um, UN came out September 2019, Global New Deal. Um, green, global Green New Deal. So you can call it what you want, Global Green New Deal, Green New Deal, you can call it, um, <laughs> Build Back Better, you can call it the Great Reset. It's all the same thing and it's all the top down and it's all been, um, you know, been, been designed and put into, put into play by the ruling class. And um, yeah, I mean, this is not a, a movement for the betterment of humanity is completely anti-life. Um, I mean, those those are all distractions of what's going on. They're, they're absolute distractions. Yeah. Um, I know that- uh, We're going, sorry, Michael, we're going basically from, um, um, you know, from a fossil fuel economy to a metal economy. Yeah. Right. Like the lithium and the uh, all of it, all just of massive, massive. We, I mean, that's the whole reason they've already, they're already, there's a fourth industrial revolution set up now in Norway that's all about mining oceans. Mm, yeah. Um, and you, and you don't hear about this, right? Like the NGOs are oh, a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you go back to 2009 on um, COP 15, I, I was actually there in Copenhagen. Now the the G seven seven states and the small um, small island states they fought for the world to not exceed a one degree temperature rise and you know who undermined that tick 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 which is Greenpeace Oxfam WWF they fought for a full two degrees yeah right and now now today you jump forward um what is it 11, 12 years later and now they're you know they're the ones at the forefront crying climate emergency yeah. back then when those states you know um try try to yeah uh not the pharmacy but the uh non-profit industrial complexes you know tick 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 um yeah and you know you've got green green peace right in the pocket again a world economic yeah. forum you know right in the pocket of the um what's it called the um global young global leaders, um, the global sh shapers. I mean, the World Economic Forum even has their young global leaders um, running in elections on the, on the West Coast of Canada. I mean, it's they're everywhere, right? NDP, um, I mean, they've literally just um, infiltrated into every, every corner of society. Wow. I mean, it's incredible, right? Because they have, such massive, massive wealth and resources to, to do this. And I mean, the capture is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you talked about the, the switching over, I mean, the, 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 there's definitely uh, an attempt to try to uh, re restrict uh, fossil fuels, but there's, they're gonna be expanding all of these other, the, the metals, as you say, um, do you see any attempt to try to get, say, like China is a, a major carbon producer or carbon capture. Um, are, do you think there's use, using this in any way to try to get back at China? I mean, because it's not, um, I mean, because I, I, it seems to me that uh, there's a, that 
the traditional oil and natural gas has effectively peaked anyway. Yeah. So they're, they're not necessarily out to, to be all you know, environmental. They're, they're trying to find another industry to replace this industry where the United States and, and, and other countries and, and Saudi Arabia have peaked already. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be, you're right. I mean, that's where this whole digital ID thing comes in, right? I mean, it's more for them, less for us. Um, with the digital ID, all that's, you know, then you can very easily impose, not just cutting people off and forcing them into compliance with anything you want, just um, not just vaccines, but with anything that's also a really good tool for rationing, right? And this has already been piloted in India. And yes, I mean, China now has moved into, you know, the, they, the US is very, very much threatened by China, so. Well, they're I holding mean, their uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which involves pipelines and, and roadways. And, and that's basically a means by which they are interfering with U.S. plans to take over Central Asia, right? Because they, they're just reaching out and, and not by killing anybody, just supplying them with this energy. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, this is like now we're moving into like sort of the last greatest um, land grab for everything, yeah. right? Resource grab, resource grab. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, I think we're really moving into really ruthless times. Talking about uh, resource grabs, uh, there's a, a character I, I, I know and I've heard of, uh, Bill Gates. Uh, he, he became a big player in, uh, <laughs> well, also in the climate talks. Um, you know, he's, uh, but he's uh, become the owner now of the most agricultural land in America, 242,000 acres. 2% of the total land in America belongs to Bill Gates. Um, and at the same time, he's become a big player in the climate talks. He developed Mission Innovation 2016 in 2016, which it's a global initiative to accelerate public and private clean energy innovation to address climate change. You know, make clean energy affordable to consumers and, and create green jobs and commercial opportunities. Uh, do you see his work on climate? connected with his ownership of the land and, and for that matter, you know, with any of the business of driving the vaccines around the world? Well, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, that's what the climate's being used for, right? Again, consolidation of not just wealth, but yes, of all land. And like I said, we have the, the biggest land grab in history going on right now, you know, led by um, Vanguard, BlackRock, Bill Gates, you know, all the big tech corporations. Um, all of them. So it's, I mean, climate is used as a guise, right? And they count on people, you know, caring about climate. They, they count on people wanting something to be done, you know, to protect um, bio, um, biodiversity, to protect, you know, nature. So they exploit people's emotions and, and, and you know, good intent. But it's, it's just a guise to, to capture more. I mean, these people don't, I mean, the, the land grab itself, Africa is really, really being targeted here. And I talk about that in, my, in that series that I mentioned, as well as India. And um, yeah, they, it, they don't care uh, about, about um, you know, the well-being of the land or the soil. 
of nature. They don't care about people. I mean, it's really a depraved project. Yeah. Um, do you see that? I mean, when you talk about uh, well, Bill Gates, uh, Africa, India, all that agricultural land, is, is it going to be used for, well, is there a certain crop that it's going to be used for or is it going to be used for anything? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think I can really answer that without doing more research into it. But one big thing it will be used for, um, when you talk about, um, quote unquote, protecting 30% of the planet, um, you know, the 30 by 30 campaign is huge right now. And Survival International has done a fantastic job working with, with um, you know, real grass, grassroots groups in Africa. Um, trying to educate people what that is, right? What the conservation industry really is, which is um, again, depraved, read, led, led by WW, w World Wildlife Fund and others. Um, so this is all about displacing, you know, hundred, hundreds of millions of people, indigenous peoples, it's a further genocide, right? And then the irony of that is that um, even though indigenous peoples, um, I believe it's, they represent approximately 5% now of the world's population. They actually protect upwards something like 85%, maybe higher 90% of all the world's biodiversity. And here we are now displacing them under the guise of protecting climate, under the guise of protecting land. And then all this land will be monetized. They, um, about a month ago, um, led by the Rockefellers, they created, um, they, what are they called, NATS. Um, I don't have it right in front of me. Anyway, that's the monetization, the financialization of nature, creating markets. Um, on on the stock exchange, right? So basically those that that these these companies, natural asset companies called NATs, will actually own all the processes over the land. Um, so again, it's like the complete capture of land. And then you turn that into a, an asset, right? An asset class. So it's objectification of the land, like these, these systems, biological systems exist, their communities, right? They're living communities that exist for their own purposes, not, not for man, right? To um, financialize, to, to, put, to make into markets. It's actually sick, you know, but instead of regulation, we're told, oh, it has to be like this to save nature. Those with money, will own nature. Those without money will have no access to nature. I mean, that's where we're, that's where we're headed. And it's all been um, in the works for quite a long time, you know, or decades. And now it's being rolled out. Um, it's becoming real and everyone's hypnotized and distracted by COVID hysteria. I, I mean, what is happening now could have never happened without this massive distraction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know, yeah, I'll maybe get you to comment on a little bit for a second, but uh, I know when, when you mentioned the, the, the indigenous peoples, I mean, I, I, I saw there was an article in the, the Guardian that said about uh, they comprise 
only about 6% of the global population and, and, and conservatively, they protect 80% of, of okay. diversity left in the world. But I mean, whatever. But uh, you know, the, the point is that uh, you know, with, with sustainability 2030 in effect, I mean, that, that's obviously a, a competitive rather than a collaborative approach to the, the indigenous peoples. Do you see any other, or, or can you maybe supply another example of where this, you know, as we sustain the, uh, the elite run uh, climate situation, where it's going to conflict with uh, peoples who are actually making a, a difference in terms of uh, protecting climate? Where it's going to conflict? It's going to, it's going to conflict with all life. I mean, this is such an anti-life program. I mean, a big part of this, um, and you know, they just had the biggest meeting ever for the Convention of Biological Diversity um, in China uh, about, I don't know, just a few, couple weeks ago. Um, a part of this, which people do not know because it's buried in the document is gene editing. And that's all um, interconnected to this whole mRNA experimentation on the population, the whole bioengineering infrastructure being created now around the globe. Um, they plan to actually gene edit all of life. And so we will basically enslave nature and change every aspect of her that we see fit to basically serve um, human need. And when I say human need, I'm talking about um, white supremacist, Eurocentric ideology here. Mm -hmm. So it's completely anti-life. Any, you know, groups, I mean, <laughs> Grassroots groups, of course, are, are pro-life. I mean, we all depend on ecosystems to live at, at every second and every day. And now we're actually destroying the very foundations of life. We're going to re-engineer um, you know, re them to suit us. I mean, it's just so dangerous. There's actually no words to express this level of depravity going forward. You know, it's, it's like um, sickness. So talking about the, the, the COVID crisis and, and the COVID solutions, quotation marks, um, it, it, it seems, yeah, it, it's, it seems to be working alongside this, this climate agenda. I mean, they, they both seem to have a, a similar... A purpose, you know, at, at the end of the day, and I, I, I'm wondering what uh, do you see any potential breaks up breakups in this uh, this approach? I mean, yeah, I, I actually do, Michael. I mean, even though it's so um, quite terrifying the direction that things are headed in, I see now less and less of, um, you know, as Steve said on Slow News Day, um, medical tyranny is not partisan, right? Like I see less and less divide. I think people are starting to recognize it's not left versus right, it's us versus the ruling class, right? So I, I think people more are starting to be um, more united in that sense. And I mean, if you look, I mean, Canada is, I know it seems, is pretty bleak, um, but if you look at 
Europe, there's massive protests, right? Massive protests happening. And, and you see them. I mean, they're all censored from, from social media, right? Which has just become another weapon used against us, you know, owned by the ruling class. But there are protests happening all over the world, all over the world, you know, like they everywhere, Israel, Africa, Europe, um, there are protests happening, Montreal, right? Um, I think this week we saw firefighters protesting in New York City. Um, there's there, there, there is stuff happening. There's people organizing, right? Unions have a lot, you know, so many unions have taken strong positions about what's happening. And, you know, once people start waking up to how they've been manipulated and how they've been, um, you know, exploited through this COVID thing, I think that leads, um, you know, to a lot more enlightenment around the climate and what's happening there. Yes, I, I hear about it uh, in the United States where, uh, I mean, they were way ahead of us in terms of people being vaccinated. But then in April, the, uh, it, it just plummeted in terms of the number because people were seeing their own people, you know, they, they were seeing that there was a, a negative effect to it. It's not represented in the, me the, the, in the media and it's not represented in Canada as well. I mean, you've got uh, I mean, I'm hearing about how certain individuals are, are getting, uh, you know, all of these, uh, you know, the, the, the health workers, the people in, in academia who refuse to get the shot, they're, they're writing to see how they can. Uh, so, so why, you know, while these, uh, the, the, the outfit, like we're, we're not demonstrating quite to the same extent in, in Canada, but there are a lot of people who are uh, refusing to comply and they're, they're really, being punished uh, in ways that they, they never would have before seen or, or connected with. Um, you know, reasonably, what, what do you think the, the outcome is going to be? Is it, is it going to actually win? Because the mainstream, the, me the media is, is not reporting on this. It's just, well, those anti-vaccinated people are just, you know, they're loopy or, or whatever. Um, and, and, and it, it, it continues across the path, but will, will this, will, will the uh, whole issues of, of COVID as well as, as the, the climate uh, change you know, frauds, is that eventually gonna come to being or are we just going to see uh, this uh, you know, slow you know, division between the, uh, the, the, the vaccinated right and the unvaccinated or, yeah, I, I honestly, I think that could change. I mean, David Birch, who's like an advisor to a lot of tech, um, he's invested in, in a digital identity company. I watched a video with him and three other, um, you know, tech people, and they're talking about basically digital identity and the vaccines and everything else. And he actually explained it very well that people, you know, uh, feel this entitlement when they get their passport right and it has created this um you know this um tier of class structure and when and you know they they like i said they identify that they they knew that people would there would be uptake because those that have got you know their their jobs and feel like you know they they're being rewarded with this passport at the moment 
you know, they have this little bit of euphoric feeling that they're able to do things that others are not, right? Um, but I think that will really wear thin. I mean, even today, CDC has announced that people can now get their fourth booster, right, um, in, in the U.S. Um, Israel's already cut off passports to those um, who have not got their latest booster, they're on their fourth booster as well. So I think when people start to realize that this passport is um, completely a tool to force people um, to comply, I, I think people are going to start seeing how dangerous this is. I mean, how many boosters are you willing to inject? And it won't just be boosters, it'll be everything. Right, you're going to see oh triple threat flu, RSV, oh Zika, Zika uh, mosquitoes. You're going to see everything, right? And then that I mean all you can be cut off of anything. Um, in in Nigeria, I believe they've cut off people to access their banking, right? Without the passport, you can't get any money. You can't feed your kids. Yeah. So I I think when people realize they might get well, some COVID. It's it's Zika. It's been any I mean anything any vaccine that they say you've got to take. Exactly. I mean you say okay I'm on board with the COVID, but I didn't sign <laughs> up for all these things. Sorry, you're cut off. Say goodbye to your career. You know? <laughs> um, you yeah. Know, so that's and and yeah that's so that's a, a very very uh, urgent thing to to, to consider. Because yeah, and, and you know, these they're so greedy, they won't be able to help themselves. I mean, I think it'll happen fairly quickly, you know, when they can see what they can um, course people into. They won't, they honestly, I, I do not believe they'll be able to help themselves. And I think people are going to wake up. I mean, they have to. Like I said, even those that have been happy to take it, that wanted to take, you know, the job. Again, how many times are you willing to to take, you know, injections and exper experimental injections? How many jobs do you want? And again, it won't just be for that. It'll be everything. Your banking, everything will go through that passport, right? And people have no idea really what what we're what we're headed into. Yeah. As we got maybe about maybe just a few minutes left. Um did you have anything to say? Because it, I, I don't think we actually, I don't remember talking about the actual Great Reset, uh, which is uh, being a, a huge part of this um, as well. Um, yeah, and I think it's important to talk about how the Great Reset and everything, all the huge um, things right now going through on the climate, were all, you know, dreamt up and schemed within the World Economic Forum, um, de facto sort of clearinghouse for all the corporate entities and global finance, right? World Bank and everybody else, all these consulting firms. Um, so again, the, the main thing that people still are not aware of, nature is being monetized and brought into the global economic system. I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, before, I mean, we've done really good work in that way. Survival International, again, um, Geraldine Ring, who runs um, No Deal for Nature that we created this tiny like, little grassroots campaign last year. She does a fantastic job educating people, reaching out to people. Um, you know, everyone should follow that account. 
um, all the, all these things were all hatched up, you know, by the, by the NGOs, by the United Nations, by the World Economic Forum, in partnership with, with the United Nations, all these, um, every, everything basically will be as, as a service, right? Like even they call digital identity freedom as a service, right? So all your access to um, natural world will be a service, um, access, everything will be a service. And I mean, I'm not talking about a sharing economy. Like when they say you'll be happy and you don't own anything, I'm not against a sharing economy. That's not what this is. You'll own everything, right? And you won't be able to access anything unless you comply with everything, (laughs) right? So um, yeah, again, it's all markets, 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 markets. If there's no, if they can't turn it into an industry, into a market, they're not interested. You know, Um, I don't know. The Great Reset, Klaus Schwab has been, it's amazing. I mean, the prince, what's his name? Quote unquote, Prince Charles, right? I hate monarchy. you know, they announced the Great Reset. Um, Klaus Schwab spoke openly. They had a big conference about it. You see Rockefeller Papers, the Great Reset, Goldman Sachs, the Great Reset, the cover of the Financial Times, Capitalism, Time for a Great Reset. I'm, and, and then people act like it's a conspiracy theory. Well, right? It's, well, it's all over the place. They're resetting the whole global economy. Yeah. Right, because capitalism, late stage capitalism, right? Um, it's you know the whole financial system was about to collapse, and so Corey, as, as yeah, as part of this again, like nature is being financialized. Indigenous peoples will be displaced. Hundreds of millions will be displaced. Those that have money will own nature. That that's the climate. Con- that's the climate conference. Okay. Corey, I uh, wish you had more time, but I think we'll probably reconnect again. Uh, I'm hoping uh, maybe sometime uh, later next month or, or December, because um, uh, we got to continue this conversation. But it's great having you uh, as, as always. Thank you again for for joining me on the Global Research News Hour. Thanks for having me, Michael. We've been speaking with Corey Morningstar, the independent investigative journalist and environmental activist, and she joined us from London. That was our take on the climate crisis from the elite's enterprising perspective. Next week, with the U.S. attempting to appeal the blocking of extradition of Julian Assange to the United States, we will be presenting the facts about the case, the facts about the man, and the prospects for the future of journalism. Be sure to join us in seven days' time. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Metis Nation and the heart of the Metis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us.